From the age of 12 to 23, Carly Lynn Saunders endured and survived physical and non-physical abuse, eventually pulling herself out of a cycle of unhealthy relationships. Now, at 27, she is a mom, podcaster, and confidence and abuse recovery coach, helping other women recognize signs of abuse, build their confidence, and in doing so, discover their self-worth. I am so honored to have her share her story with y'all. Hi, Carly. Thanks so much for being so open about sharing your story. Yeah. Hi, Estella. I am so stoked to be here. You have no idea. So let's go back to when you were 17. This was the first relationship that really started a cycle of abusive relationships. So I'd love for you to describe the dynamic of these relationships and the evolution of 17 to 23-year-old Carly's beliefs. So I was in the abusive relationship cycle from the time I was 12 to 23. When I was 17, I got in a relationship with Kay. We'll just call him Kay. Um, And this was the first relationship that was very aggressively physically abusive. So this is where the type of stuff you see in the movies, that's what I had experienced. But even before then, even before I ever met him, the stage was set for me to think that this is acceptable. And what I mean by that is there are so many other forms of abuse than just physical. And this is something that I am so passionate about people understanding. I remember being in high school. The only abuse that they ever talked about was physical abuse. And it, w- it led me to believe that if I didn't have a bruise left on me, then nothing was wrong. So fast forward to when I was 17. At this point, I had already been in several very emotionally abusive relationships, but I didn't recognize that it abu- as abuse. Excuse me. I just assumed that this is what love looked like, especially, and I had a whole lot of body issues too. So I was also neck deep in an eating disorder at this time. And I felt that what I was going through was quote unquote, normal. I thought it was the price to pay of being with someone attractive while being unattractive. Not only did I believe that I was unattractive, I felt like I was the fat kid that no one wanted and I had to take what was given to me. So how it started is, oh man, if I could go back to teenage me and slap her upside the head, I'd do it. I met this dude and he moved up here from California. What I did not know at the time, because of course I thought he was moving for me and he cared so much about me. He wanted to see me. What I didn't know is that he actually had a warrant for his arrest in California and he was running. And so if he could get out of California, they couldn't do anything. So I found that out a few months into the relationship. But I remember so clearly being so excited. We went out to Chuck E. Cheese for our first date. And that, to me, was a big deal because I'm a total child at heart. And going to Chuck E. Cheese and playing games versus just sitting across at dinner, that just sounded like so much fun. Things were, I perceived them as being great. But what I didn't realize were the little digs that were happening. All the while he was hyping me up and telling me how beautiful I was, there was a snide comment here and there about gaining five pounds. Okay. There was a snide comment here and there about, well, maybe if you weren't so stupid, you wouldn't suck at skee-ball. And all of these little things, they were said between compliments. Very manipulative, very smart. Even before anything physical happened, those moments are what started the downhill snowball. 
And the reason I want to bring that up because they seem so insignificant is because those are major red flags that I let go. I didn't call him out. I didn't tell him I felt uncomfortable because I was so worried about losing him, losing the attention because there's no way that anyone could ever love me. There's no way that anyone could ever pay me any attention ever. So I had to stick with what I got. That's how low I was. I genuinely believed that I was a worthless human being. And the only thing I could offer was value through providing for someone else. Whether that was just acts of service, just by being there, doing everything, momming, or it became very physical later on. And noticing those patterns in the beginning, I just want to make sure that people understand it is a big deal. And if anyone ever says to you, oh, that's just, it's no big deal. Get over it. One, that's gaslighting. And two, your feelings are valid and you do not have to put up with it. And it's not okay. The relationship was about 10 months in total that we were actually together. My time of knowing him was spread over about two years. But within this 10 months, what slowly happened is that it became very verbally aggressive and slowly but surely the compliments were less and less and the insults were more and more. I remember snuggling up with him on the couch and I made mention about how I wanted to join cross country and he looked over at me and he scoffed so hard, spit flew out of his mouth and hit my face. And I remember wiping my face off and he rolled his eyes and said, baby, you're great and all, but you can't do that. You're too lazy for that. What are you talking about cross country? You can't do that. You don't have the body for that. And I am very much the type of person to be like, oh, you say I can't do it? Watch me. And I had that response to him, but his continual response to me being like, no, I'm going to do it. Watch me was just more and more belittling until he got so angry that I wanted to do this, that he picked up a pillow from the couch and he threw it so hard that when it hit the window, I honestly thought the window was going to break. At that point, I just stopped talking because I was so scared. It escalated from throwing that pillow to punching the couch to punching, not all at the same time, but slowly but surely, this is how it gradually became worse and worse, to punching the wall next to my head to putting a hole through the wall right next to my head before things became very, very physical against me. The reason I make a point to say that the physical abuse gradually got worse and worse and closer and closer to me is because what happens is they're never an abusive person is never going to slam you up against the wall on day one. It starts out very small and builds up. So he threw the pillow against the wall or against the window, but it's not like I hit you just get over it. Every single time that happened, that was his response. And so in my mind, I was still in the sense of like, okay, this is the price to pay with being with someone attractive. No one's ever going to want me. I have to deal with it to allowing more and more and more. And it even reached a point where if he acted like he was going to hit me and I flinched, he then would react based on that and basically give me a reason to flinch. And none of this makes sense logically. So many people will say, well, why didn't you just leave? Abuse changes your brain in a way that you think it's okay because it's so gradual because we already had built this connection before I even met him. And then by the time we went to Chuck E. Cheese on our first date, he was throwing these insults, but he was also telling me I was beautiful. And so all of these things were sandwiched in 
until it reached the point, the point I'm about to make, the story I'm about to share right now could potentially be triggering and I don't want anyone to send themselves down a spiral. At this point, I had already had that choice taken away from me and, you know, whenever he wanted it, it had to happen. But it got to the point that I didn't realize that I needed to leave until he was 18 and I was 17. I was standing out in front of his house. I remember I was wearing a denim mini skirt and a cropped hoodie and a tank top. And I saw him getting upset and he came outside with a BB gun. I looked up at him and I looked at the gun and I knew what was about to happen, but I knew I couldn't show reaction because if I showed reaction, he would get upset and do it anyway. I can't remember what it was that I said, but I remember trying to hide behind a car. I wanted to get my bare skin out of range of that BB gun. So I slowly moved behind the car, but he caught on. And the moment he caught on that I was trying to hide, he got so upset. He got so mad at me. He got mad at me for thinking that he was the type of person to shoot me with a BB gun. He came out, he walked down the stairs, and from less than six feet away, shot my bare thigh with a BB gun. That was the most pain I had ever felt. Instantly, blood vessels broke. My skin didn't break, but instantly, this whole my whole leg was purple. And I was wearing a mini skirt, so there was no way to hide it. And I knew that I was going to have to find a way to hide it before my parents saw it. So I was like, oh crap, what do I do? I didn't know what to do. And I was so confused. And not long after I ended up going home, I was so upset. And I ran to my car and I went home. Around this time, he had blew up my phone. And back in the old days, we had flip phones. And these flip phones only had so much capacity. And so he would text me to the point that my phone would crash. Because he figured out a way to send like 10 text messages at one time. And he'd send it to the point where I, my phone was receiving a thousand text messages, which it couldn't do. And it just completely crashed. And I had to wait for it to recharge in order for it to work again. During this time, he then was upset with me because I wasn't answering my phone. So I got home. I rushed downstairs to my room and I put on a pair of sweatpants. And over the next two or three weeks, my leg was in so much pain. I couldn't wear jeans. I couldn't wear leggings. And every time he walked by, Kay made a point to smack that part of my leg and tell me to get over it, that it must not hurt so bad. And unfortunately, it took me finding out that he was cheating on me before I actually left. And then after I broke up with him, he then told me that he wasn't cheating on me. It was just a friend. He wanted me back, chased me down for about a week sucked me back in. Now I know what these tactics are and what their names are. But at the time I was like, oh my gosh, he wants me back. We slow danced in the YMCA parking lot to Hey There Delilah. He worked out with me for the first time, which just meant a lot to me. He took me out to the movies, took me to dinner, all of these things. Right when he had me where he needed me to be, he fell off the face of the planet. And then he openly was cheating on me. And because I couldn't leave well enough alone, I left a note on his car that was like, hey, I know what happened. I'm not talking to you. Well, he spammed my MySpace page at the time, an app that was connected to MySpace, saying, I didn't cheat on you. I just never got around to breaking up with you. And he then stalked me for about a year and a half after that. That was the very first relationship that I was in that I knew I had to be grateful for no longer being in. Because I don't know what would have happened had I gone back for all the times that he tried to pull me back in after that when he was stalking me. 
And this paved the way for me to fall into another abusive relationship where it wasn't physical abuse because I had told him what had happened to me and he didn't want to be that person, but it was very emotionally abusive. And that happened to me a couple of more times before I ended up getting together with my most recent ex. We've been apart for about three and a half, almost four years now. It was at that point after that relationship ended that I was at my lowest point. I didn't want to be alive. I had my child. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. And it took me about a year and a half of being face down, no energy, not wanting to live before I finally decided that that this couldn't be my life anymore, that I needed more. And I wasn't about to leave my son without a mom. And so I needed to get myself together. I had to figure it out. And that's kind of how I got to where I am today. There's a lot of work that went in there. But that relationship with Kay is what really altered everything for me. And it changed my brain to the point of thinking that even though I knew it wasn't okay that he shot me with a BB gun, I knew it wasn't okay that he physically and sexually assaulted me. I somehow still thought that that was the price to pay for someone wanting to be with me because I was completely worthless. And so I allowed this treatment for such a long time because I believed the lie that I wasn't important, that I didn't matter, and that dogs were more important than I was. And I'm an animal lover, but the fact that I believed I was so much less than a dog is so heartbreaking because I know so many other women feel the same way and that kills me. And I'm so grateful for you sharing your story because there are so many people out there, like myself included, I didn't realize until much later that emotional and verbal abuse is considered abuse. They're non-physical. I look back on it and I am not grateful that I went through it, but I'm grateful that I now have the ability to relate to women in a way that not very many can. And you mentioned gaslighting. In your words, what is gaslighting and why is this considered a form of abuse? Oh my goodness, gaslighting. So it's crazy for me because now that I know what it is, it's such a major trigger for me and it's everywhere. So gaslighting in a nutshell is manipulating someone into thinking that the reality in front of them is not the reality that they see. So here's an example of gaslighting. Me and you, me and Estella are out on a walk. She looks up and says, oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful blue sky. And I say, what are you talking about? The sky's purple. And she's looking up going, no, it's blue. What do you mean? that? That's blue. It's definitely blue. And I say, no, it's purple. Are, are you okay? Do you need to get your eyes checked? Maybe you need to go see the doctor because the sky is definitely purple. And we go back and forth enough times and I am convincing enough to where Estella goes, oh, well, maybe the sky really is purple. Now, this is a very oversimplified example, but in a nutshell, that's what it is. So the word gaslight actually came from the 1938 stage play entitled Gaslight. There is an abusive husband. He wanted to manipulate his wife. And so what he would do is every time she wasn't in the room, he would turn the gaslights down little by little by little. He didn't turn them off right away. He just did them little by little. And she comes out and goes, Oh, why is it so dark in here? Can you turn the lights on? And he's like, what are you talking about? The lights are on. Nothing changed. 
And she's like, why is it so dark in here? And he's going, I don't know. Are you okay? Do you need to go to the doctor? And even saying this right now, like it's filling me with so much rage. But basically, he manipulated her to the point that there was hardly any light in the room. But she was so convinced because it was her husband. She had no reason not to trust him. He was the only constant in her life. And so she looked around her and went, oh, I guess I really am crazy. And from what I understand, the, the play, which is then turned into a movie, does not end well. So I can't watch it. I know I can't watch it because it would be really triggering for me. But in a nutshell, that's what gaslighting is. The two examples that I shared were both physical, where me and Estella were talking about the sky, and then there was the gaslight play. But the thing is, is that it's not just physical. It is also... Dear Lord, it's not that bad. Why are you overreacting? Um, are you sure? Like, why are you saying I hit you? I never did that. Didn't you just like walk into the wall or something? You know, you are really clumsy. And it reaches a point where this actually physically changes the connections in your brain where it no longer trusts itself. It no longer looks at the reality around it and thinks that it's actually there. Here's another example. Right now I'm sitting at my desk and I have one of my stuffed Eeyores, because I love Eeyore, hanging on the door frames. Looking up at it, I know that the eyes aren't going to move, right? But if I had someone come in here and look up at that and be like, uh, Eeyore just looked at you, I would jerk my head up and go, no, no, he didn't. And they would go, uh, yeah, his eyes definitely moved. And it would be this argument to where even though... I know deep in my soul that the eyes didn't move. There is still a part of me that would not be able to look at that Eeyore again. Because I would somewhere deep in my being, because it's already a phobia of mine, is the dolls coming to life. Looking up at that, it would be relatively easy to prey on that fear that I have into thinking that the eyes on my Eeyore are actually moving. This is how gaslighting works. And the issue with gaslighting is that it is so pervasive within our culture. Growing up, my parents, who didn't know any better, gaslighted me. Oh my gosh, stop crying. Just get over it. It didn't hurt that bad. Stop crying. You're such a baby. Why are you doing this? Right? We've heard these things from our parents. And again, I am not saying this to make a parent feel guilty. I am guilty of doing this to my six-year-old son. And what this does is it invalidates the victim's feelings, it invalidates what they're going through and makes them think that their reaction is not only not warranted, but it means they're broken. And this, I get so fired up about it because I see it within families. And I, once I recognize it myself, I do not want that to be the legacy I leave for my son. So I do everything I can to stop it in its tracks. And one of the most powerful things about recognizing when you're gaslighting someone else, once you become aware of when you are doing it, you can become aware of when it's happening to you. Because again, this manipulation changes your brain. Because once you have to rely on someone else to translate reality for you, they own you. And I don't say that to be disrespectful. I say that because I've been there. I've experienced that. I have been owned by someone because... I did not trust the world around me. I didn't trust my own two feet. I had to look to someone else to provide that for me. And so when someone invalidates your feelings, you feel like it's wrong of me to be upset. He told me I was stupid 
but I shouldn't get upset at that because it's just a joke, right? So internally, not only do I internalize the message that I'm stupid, but I internalize the message that I shouldn't be upset when someone calls me stupid. And this also blends into this whole concept of self-gaslighting, where we literally manipulate ourselves into thinking that our reactions, our thoughts, our feelings are wrong. This concept of self-gaslighting played out for me very clearly a few months ago. I say a few months ago, I think it was about six months ago now. I was getting ready for work. My son was at his dad's and I had the worst panic attack that I'd experienced in years. It was so bad. I had to have my mom help me figure out how to breathe because I could not control it. My body was shaking. I couldn't see straight. My body was having a physical reaction to a trigger the whole time from the start of the panic attack to the point to even after it was over, the whole time I'm thinking, if I wanted to stop this, I could. Why do you want attention so bad? All you're doing is making this up. It's not that bad. You're doing this because you want other people to feel bad for you. I was in my car by myself having a panic attack and I was convinced that I was doing this to get attention. This manipulation got so deep inside of my brain that I was telling myself that my body having a physical reaction that I couldn't control, I was making up. My hands were shaking so bad I had to pull over because I couldn't hold the steering wheel, but I told myself I was making it up and that it was my fault. Gaslighting for me, from my perspective and my experiences, was worse than anything physical that could have ever happened to me. Do I have trauma? Yes. Do I struggle with things? Yes. But guess what? Bruises heal. Bones heal. But the things that stick in your brain are there forever. Yes, recovering and healing is possible. But even when you heal, there's still going to be scar tissue. And that scar tissue carries over with you. And it actually is the reason, one of the many reasons why... People will stay in abusive relationships for as long as they do because they look at it and go, okay, I am such a handful. Look at how broken I am. Look at how pathetic I am. They put up with me, so I just have to deal with it. This is the price to pay. For me in my mind, it was this is the price to pay for being a fat girl, which I was not even overweight at the time, but in my mind, I was so fat and I was so ugly that I had to take whatever life gave me. That is the danger of gaslighting and manipulation. And that is why I will talk about it until the good Lord takes my breath out of my lungs. Because it is the most dangerous thing within our culture, hands down. I think you bring up a really good point too, because emotional abuse and the verbal abuse, including gaslighting, that stays with you. And these are some things that a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious during the time from like about 17 to 23, what did your support system look like? Oh my goodness. So my support system was very, a lot of the times what happens is that when you are in the abusive relationship, there is this thing called isolation abuse. This is where they will literally do everything they can to pull you away from friends and family. What had happened in my case, even though he got upset with me a few times for talking to my mom and not him, the version that played out with me wasn't him going to my friends and family and pushing them away. What it was, was making me think that everything was my fault and that if I told anybody, 
that it would just make me look bad. And so I did not tell anyone what was happening. And when I was 17 and in that relationship, the only thing that, and again, my parents, they, they, they know better now. They understand more now, especially with me doing what I do. But they were more so upset with the fact that I was 17 and sneaking off to see a boyfriend. They didn't know at the time what had happened and how bad it was. And I was very afraid. My best friend at the time was not someone who was comfortable with vulnerability and being open. So I didn't want to tell her either because I figured her response would be, well, just leave. And as we all know, it's so much more than that. So my last relationship lasted about six and a half, seven years in total. And for the last three years of it, my family witnessed a lot of what I had gone through. There was no overt public physical abuse, but they saw the manipulation and they saw me running around trying to do everything while he did literally nothing. My mom knew that if she came at me too hard, that all it was going to do is push me closer to him because I loved him. I was with him. There was a reason that I was with him. So while she would say things, why certain things were and weren't okay, I would justify everything. And so while I had a support system in a sense I did not know how to utilize it because the guilt and shame was so heavy. And I didn't know how to communicate what I was going through while separating it from it's all my fault. Because in my mind, I willingly walked into this. I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew it wasn't going to be a great relationship from the start. And I walked into it anyway. And all of the blame was on me. And it wasn't until I have now been out of that relationship for about three and a half years now. And I am just now telling my friends and family what had happened and they are all appalled. And so while I do speak up a lot about reaching out and telling people and getting help, but I also know that it's so much more than that. When you don't know how to communicate it, when you are that far gone, when you are so disassociated from who you really are, reaching out and having a support system, it may be beneficial, but it may not be because if you're not utilizing it, they can't do anything. And there's also a lot to do with the stigma of, oh, you should have just left. Why did you stay so long? If it was that bad, you should have just gotten out. It's only been within the last 20 or 30 years that we've started studying the survivor's brains on a biological, neurological level. With that stigma, of you should have just left. So many survivors don't want to come forward because they're embarrassed and they know that they should have left, but they couldn't figure out why they weren't. That's why I am so passionate about getting this information about the brain out there because if we can remove that stigma, if we just remove that phrase, you should have just left, if we can remove that ignorance from people's minds, the victims, the survivors would stop hiding. They would come out and share. But because this whole you should have just left stigma is infecting the entirety of the survivor community, so many people are suffering in silence. So many people don't utilize the support system because they don't truly know how supportive that support system is going to be, which makes this whole situation even more dangerous. That's why conversations like this is so important mm -hmm. for people who... When you get to that point, I mean, you said you didn't even want to live. And 
there's so many people I know that can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Just getting to a place where they just don't see hope. They don't see another way. They feel like, I guess this is just what I deserve. And that's so, so heartbreaking. It it kills me. Even with you saying that, it sent shivers up my spine. Because now, not only do I have my own experiences, but now from working with clients and from the DMs that I get every day, there are so many women. There are so many women. And I know there are men too, but I speak to women because I am a woman and I know how to speak to women. But my DMs are full of women who have very similar stories, parallel stories with what I've gone through. And knowing that it reaches that point where you've been abused to the point where you don't even think you deserve to live is heartbreaking. And I will never forget this moment. And it is a moment that I am still working to forgive myself for and remove the guilt for is I remember laying in bed next to my son and looking over at him and going, it would be so much better for him if I was not here. Because if I wasn't here, he wouldn't have to carry the weight of my own trauma because I didn't know there was a way out. I thought that I was going to be that way forever. And I remember stroking his cheek and being like, you know what, God, please don't let me wake up tomorrow. Please don't because I don't want this life for my son. I don't want him to deal with a mom who's so broken. When I woke up the next morning, I was so mad. I was so mad. I was mad at God. I was mad at the world because I was like, I didn't want to be here. I couldn't bring myself to actually do anything because that was too much for me knowing my son was there. But it reached a point that I was so angry that I didn't want to live. And I, and I, I was so full of rage that I couldn't even take care of my son. And I looked at him and I worked so hard to disassociate myself from him because I thought if I can ruin our relationship, then I can do it. And I still carry so much guilt because I could not imagine my son having to live without me. I can't even fathom that life. But the fact that there are so many moms who have felt that same way and they carry that guilt... And when we don't know what's been done to us, when we are not aware of what has happened, when we don't know, when we can't put a name to it, the only name we have is guilt and my fault, which is why I talk so much about the brain. I don't want people to say, oh, I've been manipulated. I want them to say, no, this was hoovering. No, this was a part of the cycle of abuse. And because once you put a name on it, it takes fault away. Because you can go, wait a second, he was gaslighting me? So you're telling me I'm not worthless? You're telling me that I do have the power to leave? Once you have that awareness, even though you may not truly believe it, even though you may not truly believe that you're worth something, when you can step back and look and see that someone was manipulating you and that it changed the way your brain works, you don't have to carry the guilt as heavy anymore because you're able to go, oh my gosh, this is what happened to me. This is why this happened to me. I am not going to say it's my fault anymore because now I know it's not. I know that I reacted this way because my brain was physically changed and was reacting in a way that was unhealthy, but in a normal way to abuse. And when you can step back and look at it objectively, you take yourself out of it and you go, okay, it's not me. It was my brain. 
It's not me. It was him or her or they. Once you can step back from that and you can look at it and go, okay, you know what? This wasn't my fault. And I know I deserve more. And I don't know how I'm going to believe that. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I do know that I'm going to choose to wake up tomorrow because I know that this isn't where I have to stay. And once you plant that seed of knowledge in the brain and you continue to nurture it, eventually what happens is it's like you take the sunglasses off and you see the sun. And I looked over and I saw my son after having that realization. And it was honest to God at that moment around two and a half years ago now that I knew that I would spend the rest of my life repairing my relationship with him because I did not want him to live a life with a broken mom. And I was not about to let him live life without one. It's really valuable for them to look at all the signs, look at what you went through, all the awareness that you didn't have at first, because in you sharing your story, they can look and go, oh, that's what's happening to me. I'm not losing my mind. That's why I started sharing my story. That's why I do what I do now. It's because I didn't know at the time. The only thing I had were voices in my head telling me it was my fault. Once I was able to put a name on it, that was the first step to healing. And once I began to heal, I was like, man, other women need to know this. Because if I feel this way, I'm not the only one in the world feeling this way. If I feel like garbage, there are millions of other women who feel the exact same way, if not worse. And so once I started sharing my story, all of a sudden people, women were coming to me and going, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I relate to this. I thought I was alone. I didn't know that there was anything different. They were repelling. They were basically taking my own thoughts that I had at that time and sharing them with me and being like, okay, your story saying that showed me that there is a point to wake up tomorrow. There is a reason to give life another chance. There is a reason to keep fighting. There is a reason to fight for recovery. Because once you can see that you're not alone, once you see it in front of you and it's tangible and you can touch it and you can see someone being open and raw and honest, it's like, oh my gosh, if I'm not the only one, then I don't have to leave this world. If I'm not the only one, then I don't have to pretend like I have it all together. If I'm not the only one, that means that other people have recovered from this. And once we get that out into the world, there's going to be a massive shift. And I say this all the time. The more survivors speak out, it's like shedding light in a dark room. And the more light you shine, the bigger beam that light gets, the less shadows there are for the perpetrators to hide in. The more light we give to this room, there's less room for them to pretend like they're not doing anything. The more awareness that we get, the less victimized we can be. And that is something I am so passionate about. And it's so empowering too. What would you say to someone who may not be aware of being gaslit, but do recognize that the constant demeaning comments and jabs are not okay? Oh man, first, oh, I just want to give them a hug. I want to give them a hug and tell them how worthy they are. But the very first thing to recognize is that those demeaning comments I know that you believe them. I know they make you uncomfortable, but you also believe them. And I'm here to tell you that those comments are not true. Those demeaning comments are being said to you because they know that if you step into your worth and if you step into your power 
and you call them out, they can't do anything to you anymore. Once you're able to look at it and go, no, I know that's not true. They lose everything. And so if someone is saying those things to you, first off, it's lies. They are lies straight from Satan himself. Because you are beautiful. You are strong. You are capable. You are intelligent. You are more worthy than is even possible to put into words. You are more than enough as you are right now. You are important and you serve a purpose and people need you and what you have. The moment that you're able to say those comments aren't true, it's not that they took your power away. It's that they tucked it off into a corner And made you believe that it wasn't there. Once you're able to take those blinders off and you see your power sitting over there in the corner, you can go and pick it up. It may be too heavy to carry all at once, but you can take back pieces. And every time you pick up a piece of power back, the sooner that you're going to step into who you really are and the less that anyone's going to be able to ever screw with you. People are always going to say awful things. I get awful things said to me all the time. People do not like that I share what I share. People don't like that I look the way that I look. But I know now, not only does it matter what they say, that it's not true. And that that is only a reflection of their own insecurities. And they're trying to put them on me so they don't have to carry them alone. No, I'm not about that anymore. You know what I love about your story? Is that now, because of your experiences, you're a confidence coach. That is so inspiring. So I actually want to talk about uh, a program that you have that's called Worthy. Yes. What is it? And how can people sign up for it? Worthy is my baby. I love it. So in case you can't tell, I am all about building up your self-worth. And the reason that this matters to me is because the very first thing the abuser will do is they break down your self-confidence and your sense of self-worth. Because if you can't see that your power sitting over there in the corner, they can do whatever they want to you and you don't understand that you have the ability to fight back. And so building up self-worth is something that I am oh, just so passionate about. And there are four affirmations that I say all the time. I am strong. I am capable. I am intelligent and I am worthy. They are placed in that order for a reason because all three of those words prior build up to the belief of saying I am worthy. And the really cool thing about affirmations is it doesn't matter whether you believe them or not right away. It matters that you say them because the more you say them, the more you build those connections in your brain. Your brain is incredibly stubborn, but once you do something enough times, it will finally submit to what you're trying to do. So the reason that I named this worthy is because I wanted this to be a community for women to come and build up their sense of self-worth and to never, ever have to hear the phrase, you should have just left. Worthy is a monthly group coaching membership program. So you get the coaching and you get a month, a workbook to go through that's going to guide you through working through whatever concept you're talking about, like guilt. And I'm going to be coaching about the guilt of abuse, the guilt of the survivor and how to work through it. And then we're also going to have a Q&A session where if you have questions, we're going to talk about it because I don't ever, ever, ever want a survivor to feel like they're alone and that they have to figure everything out by themselves. 
So in Worthy, right now, enrollment is closed. It will be opening up again soon. So if you want to get on the wait list, carlyland.com slash worthy to get on the wait list. I'm so excited for it to open up again. It is the place for survivors to go to grow. I will say it's not the place if you are not ready. If you're not ready to grow, if you're not ready to let go of the victim story and to step into your hero story, every hero starts out as a victim. Iron Man was a victim before he stepped into his power. Wonder Woman was a victim. Spider-Man was a victim. All of them before they stepped into their power. So there's nothing wrong with having a victim part of your story. But if you are not ready to let it go and step into the hero part, Worthy's probably not for you because I have a very tough love style. And I say that because I am incredibly passionate about helping women step into the hero part of their story and the hero part of their journey. And if they are not ready for that, they are probably not going to like Worthy. They're probably not going to like me. So I'm very upfront with that. I talk about that a lot on my podcast and on my Instagram because there, I wasn't ready at first. And it's not a judgment. I was not ready when I first started my recovery journey. I would have hated me now. I would have wanted to physically hurt me right now. I was so low and I hated the world. But if you are ready and if you're the type of person who's like, okay, I've been through this. I'm ready. I want in. I want that community. I want to grow. I'm ready to let go of all the BS stories that have been told to me. Worthy is for you. So get on that wait list because it'll change your life. So you mentioned Instagram. Where can people find you online? Yes. So I am at carly.lynn on Instagram. So that's K-A-R-L-E-I-G-H dot L-Y-N-N-E. I am most active on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. You can go to carlylynn.com slash YouTube to check out my videos. Twice a week on YouTube, I share videos all about abuse recovery, tips, tricks, and confidence building. And on Instagram, Four to five times a day I post. I'm always all up in my stories and my DMs are always open. I answer every single one of them. So feel free to hit me up. That's awesome. And yes, I will be including all the links in the show notes for this episode. Yay. I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for the women that are going to hear this. I'm really stoked. You know, I'm all about self-acceptance. Yes. So I want to know, what is your favorite compliment you've ever received? Oh my gosh. Okay. So this, oh, this gives me chills. I love compliments. Compliments are like, I make a point every time I go out to give a compliment. So this one hits home for me. I received in a DM, or it was actually a Facebook message about a year and a half ago. And someone had messaged me and I shouldn't have shown up on their newsfeed. I'm like maxed out at my 5,000 friends on Facebook. We had never talked. I shouldn't have like shown up. It doesn't make sense that I showed up on her algorithm. I got on there and I did a live video and this woman sent me a message and she said, I just want you to know that I had planned to end it. I I had it all planned out. I had all my affairs in order. I was ready. And for whatever reason, I decided to open Facebook one last time and your video was up there. One of my friends had liked it and I watched your video and your energy and your excitement and your decision to keep going your decision to share your story gave me the courage to wake up and I chose life. I chose to keep going because of your bravery. And for that, I'm forever grateful. And I lost it. I was in the car. I was on a Grubhub shift waiting for an order. And I called my mom in tears because I was like, that's, that's, that's it. I can't give up. 
I, I have to continue this because I don't even know. Imagine the women who never said anything to me whose life's been impacted. And so the fact that she took time out of her day to message me, and she's still doing really well. We talk frequently now. The fact that she took time out of her day to message me and tell me that and to, to say that my story gave her the courage to keep going and she was in an abusive relationship and that's why that it was going to end for her. And like just the fact that she complimented me on my vulnerability, on my story, and she chose to just keep fighting because of that. There is nothing that can top that, except for when my son tells me I'm beautiful. That's pretty sweet, too. It's a close second. That's so powerful. Right? I was a mess. I'm still a mess thinking about it. Oh, my goodness. I can imagine. Oh, my gosh. But that's why we're doing what we're doing. Our voice matters. Our stories matter. Yes. Oh, man. Keep saying that. Say it louder for the people in the back, man. Our voices have so much power. Like, our voices have the power to change the world. It doesn't matter if you have one follower, if you have 30,000 followers. If you don't even have social media, find a way to use your voice somewhere. Because it matters. It's so important. Amen to that. So what is a compliment you can give yourself right now? Oh, man. Oh, this is going to make me cry. I am one... I have come so far on my relationship with my body. I have very big goals. And so my body is not where I want it to be in comparison to my goals. However, my goals set aside. My body is so beautiful. My body, it fights through chronic illness. My body should not have been able to give me a child, but it did. My body gave me the thing that saved my life. I love the way it looks in overalls. I love the way my curves are. And I'm very sad that I will not have the curvaceous look that I have because I want to be a bodybuilder that I have right now once I reach my goals. But I, yes, I could tell myself I know I'm hot. And I am both fat and beautiful. It's not one or the other. But I am so proud of myself for how far I've come. I'm so proud of myself for committing to the work. I am proud of myself for my work ethic and for... Not falling back into the patterns that I was so scared that I would the moment I became a public figure. I was so scared I was going to be that little, you know, 15-year-old kid getting bullied in the bathroom again. But now, there's nothing anyone could say. Because I know, without a shadow of a doubt, physically, I know I'm beautiful. I know I'm awesome. And that is something that not a lot of people can say. But I say it because I've done the work and I'm so proud of myself for that. I'm so proud of you too. You've come a long way from that person who was, didn't even see the value of the next day to now empowering not only yourself, but other women. That is huge. Thank you so much. That means the world to me because the me three years ago, you would not be saying that to the me three years ago was a good person, but I wasn't a nice person. So the fact that I'm hearing that from someone like you now means more to me than I could ever put into words. So thank you for that. Thank you. You are so welcome. And thank you again for coming on my podcast to share your story. Oh, I am so excited. I'm so happy. Thank you for giving me the platform. And I am super pumped for when you are on mine. (laughs) I'm excited for that too. So say hi to Axel for me and we'll talk soon. All right, will do. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in. I would love to know what your favorite part of this episode was. Tag me at Finding Strength of Heart on Instagram or Facebook, or you can email me at FindingStrengthOfHeart at gmail.com. Until next time, take good care of you, and we'll chat soon.